Hello everyone. I'm so glad to have the opportunity to be back with you again today and I hope and pray that you've had a wonderful week since the last time we were together. Well, we'd finished our session last time by reading Genesis chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 and that would seem the appropriate place for us to start again today. So let's go straight there, Genesis chapter 1 beginning verse number 3. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And we might remember that this is God's response here to the fallen condition that we find of the material creation as a result of Satan's sin, as we find recorded in the opening couple of verses of Genesis chapter 1. And what we see here in these verses we've just read is that God acted sovereignly to begin the process of the creation's restoration. He began by bringing light where there was only darkness and then making a division between the two. The darkness didn't disappear, it was still there, but now there was a separation between the dark and the light. And this, of course, that we see here in the verses we read is entirely a work that God has done by himself, as the ruined creation was completely unable to help itself. And if you think about that, that's exactly the condition we found ourselves in. We were in no position to be able to bring about our own redemption, but a sovereign act of God on our behalf has made that possible. Well, if we go back to Genesis, we'll realise that Beyond day number one, the total restoration of the creation takes another five days. And then those six days are followed by a day of rest. And this sets a pattern that is uh, set in place from the beginning that must be followed whenever we are dealing with redemption. And then we find in God's dealings with Satan after the fall of the man and the woman, that he makes a promise concerning salvation for mankind through the work of a redeemer. I'm sure we'll remember Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, the seed of the woman here clearly is the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the seed of the serpent ultimately we would see to be the Antichrist. And the bruising of the Lord's heel, of course, is something that took place on the cross of Calvary. But the bruising here of the head of the serpent and of the seed of the serpent um, really has to do with a complete crushing and an overthrow. And it takes us to that time when Satan's crown is going to be removed from the head of the Antichrist to whom it will be given. Um, and then the complete overthrow of his rulership with his father and the replacing of him, both Satan and the Antichrist, with a new group of rulers, those whom God had created for that very purpose, mankind himself, us, if we would like to see that, to be co-heirs with the son in that millennial kingdom. And Hebrews 2.5 talks of that very thing, for he, God, has not put the world, the age to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. 
Well, Adam had heard what God said in Genesis 3.15 and Adam believed him. He exercised faith towards the coming of this promised redeemer. And then Adam acted as a result of what he had believed. And we see what he did recorded in Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living and the mother of all living translation of what that name Eve means. And the changing of the name of the woman to Eve here is really an enormously significant thing because we'll remember that we were all born, according to Ephesians 2.1, dead in trespasses and sins. And it's only by placing faith in God's provision for redemption that we can pass from death unto life. And this is what the mother of all living refers to, Adam's faith in God's promise to redeem his creation, man, that mankind would move from death to life. And we are all, of course, descended from Adam and the woman. And it's then in direct response to Adam's faith that God then acts, providing the first picture in scripture of how redemption is going to be accomplished. Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And here is the next part, is the next part of the foundational picture of redemption. Redemption is based on death and shed blood and is performed as a sovereign act of God, completely apart from the one being redeemed just as we have just seen here with the earth at the beginning of Genesis. And Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without shedding of blood, there is no remission, no remission of sin. And this is so important for us to realise here that redemption, when we're dealing here, as we're going to be looking in a minute, with things to do with eternal redemption, only based upon death and shed blood, always death and shed blood. Nothing else enters into this picture other than death and shed blood. And it really doesn't matter where we find ourselves in scriptural history, either at the beginning of it or at the end of it. Uh, redemption is always going to be based upon death and shed blood. It just depends where we are in the scripture as to whose death and who shed blood we are going to receive as God's provision for our sin but it always remains exactly the same and it can never change because it's set at the very beginning in Genesis as one of those first mentioned principles that is unalterable and unchangeable. Well, Adam and Eve then, having become through sin, what we would call an easy way to understand it for, for us today, eternally lost because of that sin. They experienced that spiritual death. But here, through the death and shed blood of these animals, they're now eternally saved by an act of God's grace and their faith in his provision for a covering for their sin. Salvation by grace through faith is not something that just arrived in the New Testament. It is God's idea that has been in place from the very beginning. And then we can take the redeemer that's promised in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. And the picture of that redeemer 
is then added to in Genesis chapter 4, verse number 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And here we begin to look at the typology that we see. And we see that Cain represents the nation of Israel and Abel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when both of these are in the field together, in the world together, specifically in the land of Israel and more specifically in Jerusalem, as they were at Christ's first advent, one would be responsible for killing the other, which, of course, is exactly what happened. And then more detail of this Redeemer is given to us in Genesis chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, here with Abraham and Isaac, we see the son of promise, Isaac, whom his father loved, being offered as a sacrifice. And it may be of interest to us to note here that this is the first time that word love is used in the scripture. And of course, not insignificant that it's used in relation to sacrifice. It is, of course, a sacrificial love, that agape love that we know from the New Testament scriptures. Well, again, when we think of the typology here, Jesus is the son who was promised, who was his father's beloved son. And he was offered as a sacrifice on that same mountain that Isaac was offered 2,000 years later. And these are the only two incidents of human sacrifice in relation to God within the scriptures. And one, of course, is always pointing to the other. And these examples also teach us how redemption happens. Notice there is death and shed blood in each. Then with Abraham and Isaac, another detail is given to us the provision of a substitute, the ram that was caught in the thicket, whose death God accepts in the place of Isaac, who did die from God's perspective, as we see recorded for us in the book of Hebrews. Well, thinking of Abraham and Isaac and that substitutionary death, we're able to take this one step further yet as we continue with our study but that will have to wait until next time. So until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And if the Lord is willing, we'll be together again soon. Goodbye.